0: I'm here. I'm waiting for Gary Clark Jr. to hit that note. we get got two podcast episodes today, and you know that Look, at some point in time, there might be a charge to this podcast because the radio stuff might not exist anymore. Um, but I think this will always be an important component of whatever the heck I'm, I'm doing. And maybe you saw some of that uh, in my Facebook post today. Um, But if there was ever, song-free, commercial-free, always on the podcast, if there was ever an episode I was going to charge you to listen to, this would be premium content you'd have to pay for. This is Eric Chase Plus, since everything is plus this, plus that. This would be Eric Chase Plus, but you're getting it for free. Make it a favorite. Email the link to yourself. Take a screenshot of where to find it. Um... I'm so delighted. So, I've already recorded this conversation. In fact, um, something uh, into my brain... As I was kicking around the idea of, of podcast names, and you know, this, this doesn't really have, the podcast doesn't have a name. Um, I'm not trying to compete with Joe Rogan or anybody else nationally. I I want people who live here and know me and know people that hop on the podcast to listen to the show because it's about Toledo. People in Toledo doing Toledo things, Toledo thoughts, all that stuff. It's Eric Chase and the fam. It's Eric Chase. But there was a time when I was like, what should the podcast be called? And um, one idea was, Recorded Conversations. Somebody probably took that name by now, but it was two years ago, and maybe I should have trademarked it or copyrighted it. But sincerely, and and honest to goodness, my favorite podcast episodes, the ones I go back and listen to uh, repeatedly, like I've suggested you do with this one we're about to get into, are the ones where me and a person just talk. And yeah, I've got a general outline of what I want to ask somebody. But as you probably know, I can never actually, you can tell that I've loved the episode when it's, I got one last question. And then there's another last question. There's a lot of last questions with, uh, with Paris Devon of the Toledo Fire Department. He's a paramedic. He's written books. Um, tried out professional football. I didn't know that much about him because I, I know Paris from what you know him from three years ago. He went viral thanks to a Drake video. We'll begin there. How did you come across, or why did you decide to do the, the Kiki Challenge video a couple of years ago? And then it went viral. And then what was life like after that? So
1: it's funny you ask. So, like, I never, I never really wanted to do it. I never even thought about doing it. And we were just at work. That was a busy station I was working at. So we were making runs all day. And one of my coworkers kept trying to talk me into it. Cause I'm, I love music. I like to dance or whatever. And my coworker finally talked me into doing it. And then it was posted. And then by the time we like laid down that night, it was up to like 50 K shares. And it's funny. Like I thought I was going to get in trouble at first for doing it at work. And once, I saw Chief Bird share it. I'm like, okay, I'm safe. I'm not going to get fired from my job. Uh, But it was was crazy that it went viral. That was never the intention. We were just having fun at work. Um, We see a lot of things that you shouldn't see at work, a lot of death, a lot of sick people. So we were just kind of, we do things to kind of lighten the mood, I guess, as a kind of defense mechanism. And that's kind of basically what it was. We were just having fun like we normally do at work and
0: it just happened to go viral. Yeah. Uh going viral 101. Never try to actually go viral. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so I I followed you off of that like your pro- your follower stuff probably blew up after that. So I was one of those people, but like I look into people and I'm fortunate enough to to know a lot of people and people said good things about you and I have just, you know, followed you since then and 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 one thing that sticks in my head is you Absolutely love your wife.
1: I do. I uh, I love her more than anything. I actually I actually do. I, um, I'm very blessed to have her.
0: Um, and something that I learned in the in the blade story from a couple of weekends ago, uh, this was not your your first marriage, correct?
1: No, this is my first marriage. Oh, it is
0: your first. Okay, there was something in there about relationship oh, stuff
1: because oh, because I said when I stopped playing football, it was like a divorce.
0: Got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, you you have a long life resume, and I actually want to throw some things at you, and I don't know if you know me or, or what I advocate for, and that's totally fine, but... Like I knew you. You were a good dude. You were you take great pictures with your wife. Like if you if anybody follows you, like this is how you need to treat the person in your life that you love. This woman is an angel in your life. There's a halo around that woman with all the pictures that you post. And I know that that's not yes, all the time sir. real life, but I'm like that's how you treat the person that you love. So I thank you. That, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So um, I stumbled onto a, a saying a couple of years ago um, when people told me that I needed to keep talking and being. Uh, very forthcoming with my, my mental health um, struggles. And and I I found the saying, and it's Shakespearean or somebody else. The, the meaning of life is to find your gift, and the purpose of life is to give that gift away. And I like to think mm-hmm. my gift was to talk about mental health struggles because it empowers other people to seek help for themselves. Um, another, uh, I guess this is a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that I found not that long ago, and... After this, we'll dive into things. The purpose of life is not to be happy. It's to be useful. It's to be honorable. It's to be compassionate. To have it make some difference that you've lived and lived well. And uh, this yeah. is this is yeah. something that I have preached a lot um, in my mental health talks over the last couple of years. And I'll, I'll let you take it away because this was the crux of your Blade article. Um, and what I hope people took away from that was... Too many people are striving for the wrong thing, and that is to be happy, and too many people are striving to be happy all the time. Yep. So how, how did you fall into um, finding the right thing to strive for each and every day? Because you've got a long, great background, with a lot of cool things happening.
1: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm born. I was born and raised in Toledo, Ohio. Um, I graduated from Rogers in 2006, uh, go Red. Um, I was the last class out of the old building of Rogers, but anyway, I went on to Miami university, um, on a football scholarship to play football. And, you know, since, I mean, sophomore, junior year high school, I always wanted to go to the NFL, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And, um, that's what I was dedicated to doing. And, uh, the four years flew by at Miami, man, uh, four of the best years of my life. It went really, really fast. And then after college, I graduated in 2010. So yeah, this month, 10 years ago, I graduated college with a um, degree in social work and a minor in coaching. And I went on to um, try the next level of football. So I went to the NFL combine. I performed pretty well. Got a couple calls from teams. Uh, the Jaguars called me, the Titans called me, but nobody ever invited me uh, to the, to the camp to try out. So after that, I went and played um, for an arena team, IFL, Indoor uh, Football League. I went out to Grand Island, Nebraska. I'm sure you never heard of Grand Island. <laughs> I've never heard of it either. Uh, there's nothing out there but a football stadium and a horse race track. But I went out there and played really well. And it was funny. Um, I think the one game I had three interceptions and ten tackles. And the next day, they cut me from the team. And um, I'm like, he did, the, the coach couldn't even really look me in my eye. It, it just was really weird. I couldn't understand why they cut me, but I'll get back to that uh, here shortly. So <laughs> I left. Um, my agent had me a tryout for a Canadian football team. I got flew down to Sarasota, Florida. I um, got one day to try out for the Toronto Argonauts. Um, I, I made it into the camp. I tried out in the camp. The spring camp, I didn't get back um, invited to the fall camp. So all this was over a span of like three years. And, you know, I was at that phase in my life where the passion wasn't there for football as much anymore. And I always said, I'm going to give it my all until I can't give my all anymore. Um, I think people, the reason people live with regret is because we can't, we don't know how to give 100%. 100% of the time because if it doesn't work out we want to have an excuse. We want to say, you know, we didn't try as hard or whatever, you know, to to save that embarrassment and I was embarrassed, you know, putting all my eggs in one basket trying to make it to the NFL and not making it and it was it was embarrassing from the standpoint that I didn't make my goal, but it was also very eye-opening to me. It was a learning experience from the standpoint of that I was putting my identity in something that was just something that I did, not who I was, you know, I'm, I'm Paris Edwards, whether I'm a firefighter, uh, a paramedic or an NFL player, or I'm a plumber. It doesn't matter. Like I'm me regardless of what I do. And to go along with that quote you mentioned earlier, you gotta find your gift, you know, Your gift, like you said, is speaking on mental health. My gift is just to help people by being me and becoming a firefighter, becoming a paramedic, becoming a public speaker, substitute teacher, author. You know, these things are just avenues for me to use my gifts. There's nothing that feels better to me than helping people. And that was the whole reason I wrote my book and to go along with mental health, I realized that I'm just one athlete, one example who struggles with that identity, leaving a sport and not knowing what else to do. I mean, I went to high school with guys and their glory days is high school football, like they have nothing else to look forward to. They don't know how to move on. And it's not that they can't or that they're not valuable just in their mind from a psychological, mental standpoint, they they never dealt with that as I like to call it, divorce from football. You know, you see guys go even play in the NFL. They could play 10 to 15 years, but still it's a struggle to depart from that because it's been a part of your identity. It's been a part of who you were the majority of your life. So I realized I was seeking happiness in something that was outside of myself, which you don't chase things that you can attract. You know, I realized that I'm going to be happy because of who I am, not what I do, and I'm going to be happy because I'm going to help other people um, realize that they can be happy with who they are. What was your and uh, that's my gift?
0: What was your aha moment from going from football is my identity, um, it's my passion, but obviously this has ended. Where did the light go on for you to go? It's really, it's really meaningful for me. To help people For example When um, My moment Was I, I always knew That it was easy For me to talk about You know My struggles With bipolar And depression And, and suicidal Thoughts but it was crystallized when uh, when our old morning show on Kiss FM went away, and my inbox was loaded with people saying, "Thank you for talking about what you do." Um, it allowed me to understand my son. Thank you for talking about what you do. It allowed me to help myself. And I've had I had a psychiatrist reach out and say, "Thank you for talking about whatever you do," because I have people in my office saying they heard you talk about it, and, and that at that mm. point the light went on. Like I always knew it was mm. easy for me to talk about the stuff, but I'm like, oh shoot, this is. But that was your aha moment. That was the aha moment. What was yours?
1: That, that's, um, first of all, that's a, before I respond, that's a beautiful story, man. And, um, thank you for what you do. Thank you sure. for sharing your story. Thank you for being vulnerable about mental health because that's very, very important. So I appreciate that.
0: Thank, thank you. you. You know what? I don't know if find to me it's it's my superhero gift. It's not a vulnerability. Look, it's funny. I was kind of afraid, and I have no problem with it. That you and I were going to be like cliche fest here. Every time we, we drop a, a sports cliche or some kind of wisdom, the bell would go off. But you know what? It's helpful. I like to think. um it, you can't have courage if you're not afraid, and I'm not. That's true. I'm not afraid to talk about this stuff. Um, I love it. That's why I love it. That's why I'm so easy to do it. So, what was your, your light bulb aha moment? So my aha moment was um, so when I graduated,
1: I was I was I needed a job to where I can make some money to live, but it could be very flexible to when I get a tryout for a team. So I graduated from college. I think I was 23. I had never had a job in high school. I played three sports. Um, so I got my first job. It was called YAP Youth Advocate Program. It's a nonprofit organization that was founded in Philadelphia, and we have a branch here in Toledo, Ohio. So what I was, it, was, it was basically was social work, but my title, I was a mentor. I worked with um, CSB, drug court, and probation kids, and I mentored these kids. I hung out with them. I went to court with them. Um, I visited them in jail when they went to jail. I did whatever I could to help these kids. So my aha moment was, you know, they, they gave me the case for this one kid who, you know, they said nobody would take him. You know, he, he tried to, like, stab his granny. Like, just all this, all this bad rep about this kid. And I remember I took him to, um, to the gym with me. Like I said, I was training for the NFL. I took him to the gym with me. And I had him work out with me, and I just sat down and I talked to him. I talked to him about his thoughts and his anger about how he could write and he could be therapeutic. And when I say this kid was so attentive and he was so receptive for some reason for what I was saying to him, and I realized at that moment I had a gift. And I remember, this is a true story, after that first day with that kid, the granny couldn't believe how Because she was saying he was going to be bad on me. I need to wash my back. He was very well-behaved, one. And I realized that I had a gift. And then after that, I remember I made a Facebook status that I was going to write a book to help people. And this was 2011, 10, 11. It was like right after I graduated. And I was like, I'm going to write a book to help people because I realized I have a gift. And then, I mean, what, five, six years later, I wrote and published my first book and joining a Toledo Fire Department and becoming a paramedic. I've literally been helping people ever since by just allowing God to use me and my gifts.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm fortunate that, you know, and I believe, I'm not very religious, but I, I'm spiritual, and I like to think that Absolutely. my finances are good because I throw that that good stuff out in the universe and, you know, some Mm -hmm. of the volunteering Uh that I does, you know, it just takes care of itself. Um, to go back to something that I kind of incorporated and I, I would never put myself in the level of a, of a psychologist or a a clinical professional or anything like that. I never wanted to, to go to school for all that stuff. It's like my job is to like get people who uh, get people to those people. But I have a friend, she is a, um, uh, behavioral therapist, family therapist, also a professor at the University of Finley. And we were talking a couple of years ago and we kind of stumbled on this how, you know, it, it's hard and it's hard for people younger than us. I'm 41 now. You're a little bit younger. I'm a little older than you. Where are 33. For the, yeah, you're old now, no. So it's, it, 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 you're over the hill like me, but whatever. Um, we learn growing up, like, we have a hard time figuring out, like, what's, what, there's a song out, uh, what is it? Uh, I hate, I blame Disney. Like this girl singing about like Disney made her think that everything was going to be Disney princess life. And when you're a kid, like you can get some of that, but then some things you just can't shake out of it when you, when you get older and her and I started talking about how, you know, your point in the article and in your, your maximum of life is, it's not about happiness and you know what happiness and even depression, um, comes and goes you can't be happy all the time you shouldn't be depressed Mm -hmm. all the time you need to be in the middle and enjoy the highs and lows that come with life because that's where you learn and and love and in that middle is grow yeah absolutely well i like to think another maxim nobody ever learned anything in a w you learn when you lose um exactly but that's how you keep that's how you keep the lows at arm lengths or in my case I've managed to keep the depressive episodes much shorter than they were in the past. But in that middle, in between, up top is the happiness, and at the bottom is the is the sadness and the depression. In the middle is purpose, and that keeps you. That's your your guiding light. That's your beacon.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that. I love that actually.
0: Um, so you said first book. <laughs> Tell me, you've written two now. No, no, no. I, I'm saying that's just my first of more that I'm going to. Gotcha. Write. Gotcha. So what, what's okay. Well, so then I'll come back to that because I do have, I do have some work questions for you. Um, nothing controversial by it by any means that, that I like to ask you if you're okay with that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. One, he's got, like, there's been some, some race stories involved in it. I feel awful that he's got to answer this stuff, but he doesn't necessarily get the spotlight that Chief Crawl does. But from everybody that I've spoken to, Chief Bird is a good dude. So can you tell me a little bit about him? It sounds like you're a big fan of his, or at least a fan of his.
1: Oh, no, I'm, I'm a, a big fan of Chief Bird. Um, I think Chief Bird was the I mean, it was the hands down, he was the perfect person for the job. He's one of those leaders that wants to understand what we need on the line. Because I think sometimes when you're at a higher up and you're not doing what you used to do anymore, there can be a disconnect. And that's, that's any job, that's any career, not just the fire department. Chief Bird tries to be very conscious of, where he came from, which is working on the line as a private and an officer just like we are. He doesn't put himself on a pedestal. He's very humble. He's very educated. He has the experience to back up, to have the position that he has. And I overall, I mean, just to sum all that up, he's just a good, kind-hearted person that wants to see everybody do well and be safe, most importantly, on his job and go home every morning at 0700 hours.
0: Good. Yeah, I, I wish there were more people that dove into uh, to speaking to him, and maybe that's just not what he wants to do. He, he does seem like a very um, approachable guy, but I, I I've always wanted to know more about him, other than from what friends or acquaintances say that yeah, he's a, he's a good dude. He's he's going to do a good job in that position. Um, so Absolutely. What is your job like? What was it before COVID, and and what's it like now? So honestly, for
1: us it's mostly stayed the same besides wearing masks on every run. We do a couple things different as far as like the medications we give and what we can give and when we can give it. But that kind of when, when, the first scare, you know, went out, it changed kind of a lot with our um, paramedic protocols, but now kind of everything is kind of the same. The hospitals have the more um, of a change than us because at the end of the day for us, man, if someone calls 911 whatever they need we will supply that we right. will we we will do that and so to me i don't fear for my life one i don't live in fear i never will whether it's covid or not and two i took a oath to serve that's our we're civil servants that's what we signed up to do we're not civil servants that took an oath to say we are here to serve the community however they may need it. And that's what I stand on. And COVID before, after, or during, will not change that.
0: Um, so you're paramedic, you don't fight fires, but you're on the Toledo Fire Department, right? Did I get that correct? So for two years
1: you're you're on the life squad. So for two years you don't fight fires unless you get an engine day here and there, but it's just a small little two year commitment after you come become a paramedic. Then you can go back to riding the engine in okay. the medic units. So it's just a two-year commitment.
0: Got it. What do you? Which do you prefer? Which uh, which is more of your purpose? Maybe the, the helping, the paramedic stuff.
1: Oh, I prefer um, fire. Okay. I mean, so I'll put it to you like this. I'll put it to you like this. The fires is an adrenaline rush. It's sure. kind of like, uh, you know, you don't, you don't want fires to happen. You don't want people houses to burn down. But when it happens, you want to be there. I know that may sound kind of weird in a way, but it's 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 what we signed up to do. So it's yeah, it's a little more exciting. Yeah, um, the the pyramid. I like both, though. I don't dislike the pyramid. I like both. I mean, I've delivered three babies. I mean, we save people from heart attacks. We say, I mean, we we you see the you see the help when you saving more lives on the life squad, but on the fire side. You get that adrenaline rush like when you play football. You get that, that, that feel that you had when you were on the field, that, just that adrenaline rush, your heart rate is up. Um, it's, just, it's two totally different entities, and I actually love that we get to do both. There's some departments that only do one side, um, but we, we, we are a department where we're cross-trained. So.
0: I completely understand what you're talking about, like the immediate gratification. Um, when we're on the radio, like we can't, th- we know people are listening, but you don't know. And I love mm-hmm. the adrenaline. Like I was always the kid in in every level of school. I always wanted to go first and we had to do like oral stand up in front of the class reports because I wanted to get it out of the way. And sometimes you got extra credit. But I love talking in front of a crowd, no matter the size, because. That's my fire. That's, that's the adrenaline because you can, I love like, it. like you can see people, um, like you're seeing how you can save people and, and what protocols you've got to put into place to make sure you can save this life or maximize, um, the life saving. I like to watch people and see how they're reacting and read the room and, you know, like a comedian, you got to see uh, what touches yep. people. So I, again, I love it. can I, I want I've long had this. Analogy, And since you talked about the adrenaline with fire, I'd like you to speak a little bit more to this. So I always, sadly, but it's the best example, refer back to, um, people say, oh, I would have like, I would have done that. I would have, I would have saved that person. You know, I would have gone in and my example is the Jerry Sandusky case. You, You remember that right from Penn State? Yes, I do. Everybody says they would have run in, like the opposite of Mike McQueary. They would have run in and beat the hell out of that old guy and never would have let it happen again. And I can apply that to almost any situation in life. None so so devious. But there are many situations where people are like, yeah, I would would go in there and I would be a hero. And And then that moment shows up and all of a sudden the adrenaline or the stress freezes you. And your words don't matter anymore. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because you are actually running in to be a hero. So,
1: to me, it's it's all about training. Um, the fire academy is designed to train you to be uncomfortable. So, it's very how do I put? It's very abnormal to run in a building, a burning building, when people are running out. Anybody that says that a normal feeling is a lie. Whether they're a firefighter or not, you you just get used to it. Just like you said earlier, you can't have courage without fear, right? Mm -hmm. In the back of your mind, yeah, so in the back of your mind, you know what could happen. And it's an uncomfortable feeling. It's that feeling in your stomach like you get before a football game. You're still nervous. You're still human. But you train and you train and they say to take 10,000 hours to reach mastery. Once that fear just becomes smaller and smaller and smaller, then you can react quicker. Then it's less of a delay. Then you can start reading other things because you got that fear. As I like to say, under control, nobody has absence of fear. Mm -hmm. You just can get your fear under control. And then whenever fear arises, you know, that's the way you need to go. I like to say fear is your best GPS. Yeah. Whatever you're scared to do, whatever you're scared to fail at, that's what you need to go toward. So it's a it's a every it's a every situation deal. You don't just overcome that as just because you become a firefighter. Every house fire you go to, every car crash you go to, whatever whatever you go to, you just build you just learn to control it more is the way I like to. And and I mean who who wants to see the help? all scatterbrained and nervous we we, we gotta be under control
0: and you have gotten calls before for things so tragic as uh, the lady that couldn't find her remote control right
1: Oh yeah, we get. We, a lot of people don't realize we get that too. I'm glad you know that, man. That's.
0: <laughs> I do. I have friends everywhere, and I've learned not to to make fun of those. Now I know sometimes. I mean, obviously, in in many ways, those people need help in some way. Uh, but yeah, I know that there's some crazy calls. Can you talk about? Um, it's the pandemic has overshadowed the. It's dueling demics, the epidemic. Uh, We've not talked a lot about opioids for the last, you know, eight months. And I guess we started to get that under control a little bit. Can you talk about your experience of of what you've seen from that, Um, doing what you do over the last couple of years and how it's been, been, it's been a pandemic on its own?
1: Yeah, I I agree. Um, To us, from the inside looking out, it doesn't feel like it's been under control. To me, I think, The media and whoever, the powers that be, whatever you want to call it, does a a good job of of focusing on what they want to focus on. So if they want to make opiates uh, a big deal for these six months, they will. If they want to make COVID a big deal for the first six months, that's what they do. But to us, to me, it doesn't feel like it's been any different with the opiate epidemic, we still go on those calls every day.
0: Good you know? And the I only, I, quickly, if I can interject, I agree with you with the media stuff and the answer always goes back to money.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You are hundred percent correct. Yeah. Yeah. So to us, from the inside looking out, we're still going on those calls every day. And then, I mean, sometimes we'll notice that the batches changes where, it's harder to bring them back for Narcan because the the heroin is getting cut with something to stretch it. I mean, we just, those are the differences we notice. I mean, I've been on, I've only been on five years, but I have not seen a slow up in the opiate epidemic. It, it It's there. And to me, it don't seem like it has been any change. But that's, like I said, that's me from the inside looking in. I don't really watch the news. That's not me. Um, I just, I just do what I'm called to do, man. I, I just sure. treat try to treat anybody like it's my family member, no matter what the call is, big or small, you know?
0: So besides more books, what else uh, do you want to achieve? Where do your ambitions lie?
1: Um, I want to become a, a world-known public speaker, um, write more books, and just become the best husband and father and role model I can be. Um, you know, I, I want to be or most importantly, a, a role model for my niece. Uh, my niece is 15 years old. Um, she just lost her dad, my brother, um, back in May. So that's uh, another role that I have to um, take seriously. And, you know, I, I feel bad that I lost my brother. You know, I feel sad, but then I look at her, you know, she lost a father. Mm-hmm. You know, and my mom lost a son. So, you know, I want to be able to be that role model for them, and also my extended family that no matter what you come from, no matter what your situation is, you can be whatever you want to be. You can find an excuse for anything. But at the end of the day, no one cares about your excuses because you can complain and complain, and all that time you spent complaining, you could have spent putting in the work and the effort to achieve whatever you want to achieve. And one of my favorite quotes, Um, by J.J. Watt, the NFL defensive end. He says success is not owned. Success is leased, and the rent is due every single day. Yep. So I try to live by that. I wake up every day, and then my mindset, in order to be successful and or happy, I have to pay the rent. You have to put effort and time into whatever you want. Nothing is going to be given to you. No one owes you anything. So get up to get to it. And that that's what gets me excited to start my day to go to the gym and to post motivational stuff. You know, it, it just inspires me to inspire others. I mean, that, that, that's what
0: drives me. Well, you've, uh, you've inspired my attention. Any of my close friends will say that, um, I, uh, it takes a lot to get my, my attention, but when I hone in, I, I really do pay attention and I was delighted to read your article. Um, your JJ you. Watt quote is a perfect transition So, as you were telling me about that, um, I read a Mike Tomlin quote that he had, I think, sometime during this season. And I've put it in my my notes. I can never lose this notes app, uh, this one sheet I have, because I'll I'll be broken. I only have a couple of these memorized. But he said, don't tell people about your problems because they're either glad you got them or don't want to hear them.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Can you yeah. can you give me some of those things like we can do cliche cliche fest, we can do a maximgasm whatever you want to call it. Some of the uh, the life mottos or rules that that you live by, whether you got to memorize, if you got to pull out a notebook, I'd love to hear some of them. Mostly so I can steal them, but I'd love <laughs> to hear some.
1: I'm, a, I'm gonna give you my. I'm gonna start with my favorite one. Okay. I learned this. It's not mine. I actually don't know who says it, but. We had to learn it. Um, I'm in an Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, incorporated. I joined back at Miami University, and this is the quote we had to learn: um, "Excuses are tools of incompetence, and those who specialize in them seldom succeed in anything else." Yeah. So that quote that that has instilled in me that you can't you you can't use excuses. And like you just said, nobody cares or they're glad you got up or whatever. So in my mind, if I don't do something, it's my fault. And once I learned to accept that, whether it's something at work or whether it's something with my wife, I've learned that taking accountability is the first step to success, growth, happiness, successful relationships, to be good at your job. Because, one, it makes you It allows you to always be astute. So if you don't make excuses, you hold yourself accountable. That means you're humble enough to learn. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're humble enough to learn, I think you'll always be successful. You'll, yes, you will fail, but you'll always get back to success because you don't make excuses. You don't blame other people and you don't displace that accountability. So that, that excuse, um quote is one of my favorite i got another one um learn as if you will live forever but live as if you'll die tomorrow um i i know a lot of people and i was one of these people that they wait to do stuff they wait for the right time to do stuff they wait for the right time to live you know me and my wife we traveled um all over the world i've always been a big traveler and I know a lot of people that say, you know, Oh man, I can't wait to retire to take those type of trips. And in my mind, I'm like, you don't even know if you're going to live to that age. One, Yeah. two, why do you have to wait? Like why? And that's the thing people do the same thing with happiness. Oh, when I get this job, I'm going to be happier. When I get this, I'm going to be that like, no, you don't, you don't have to wait to do things. And the, the, the first part of that quote, learn as if you'll live forever yes, you need to always be a student, you need to always be hungry to learn, but you also can't forget to live. Just like you said earlier about that happiness and depressed, you got to find somewhere in between. You know, me and my wife just went to Dubai in February, and I think people think it's more crazy than we think it is. I mean, we just booked a flight like anyone booked a flight to anywhere else. I think we just overcomplicate things and Mm -hmm. We try to. We wait to live for some reason. I don't, I don't know why, but you know we gotta we gotta live right now because tomorrow isn't promised. I
0: uh, I can vouch for your pictures because when you're away, I like all of them, and I have my wa- I have my wanderlust, and uh, my excuse for wanting to travel is who's gonna watch the dogs. Um, and there's some, some validity to that, even though somebody could crash where I live. Uh, your uh, your quotes are good. I want to give. I'm going to throw one back at you because this is one that I um, I grew up with because I think we all do. But as I got older, and this was also in in uh, you talked about here with me, and thank you again. But in the Blade article, and I think people are starting to realize this with how work culture is. When I was growing up, it was, and you know this one. Love what you do, never work a day in your life. And yes. I lived by that. And I have loved um, doing radio and media. I've done it for more than half my life now. I never take it for granted. Um, I like to think that I, I made the bridges that I've, I've walked across to, to have all this, and it's been great. But then I realized there was a point um, where corporations just became merciless. So love what you do, but never work a day in your life. But don't let your passion be your punishment or your prison and um, don't love your job more than it loves you, especially in today's work mm. culture. Mm. I, so.
1: I, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, it's funny you say that, you know, when, when you're, you also, when you, I think the whole reason for setting goals to accomplish something, the reason you have to set the goal is because in our mind to get from point A to B we got this all envisioned out, right? How it's going to go. You and I both know it's not going to go. It's not going to be from A straight to B. Some things are going to happen in between, right? So the goal, the reason we write down goals, the reason we have to read affirmations is to remind ourselves remind ourselves why we are doing what we're doing. So, for example, if a levy or something doesn't pass for the fire department and you know, we don't get a raise or we got crappy fire engines and we got crappy equipment. Okay, yes, those are things we do need to fight for. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember why you're doing what you're doing. I'm not, I didn't join the fire department because of administration or whatever else. I enjoy, I joined the fire department to serve the citizens. So whatever we got to work with, is what I'm going to work with, and that can't. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to let that poison my passion for the fire department. And once your passion gets poisoned, then I think that's when you start, or when we start chasing money. You know, I, I was working at Jeep um, before I got on the fire department, and I was working on the line building the Wranglers, and it was it was so ironic. Right before I left to go to the fire department, when I put in my two week notice they offered me a job making six figures and I obviously turned it down and people thought I was crazy, but I'm like, I know what I want to do. I know my gift and that money could never replace my passion. So to me, it was an easy decision. And now people, I think people think, you know, that, People are intrigued by how much I love my job, or the how I post about it, or whatever. But it's possible to have something you're that passionate about, and you get paid for it. You just have to believe it could happen, and stay focused on your passion and not chase money or anything else that could be
0: a distraction of that. I'll give you uh, two last ones and. And we can wrap up unless there's anything else you you want to share. Um, actually, I do have one other fun last question. I think um, I, I sure, believe in sure. following follow, and I, and I forget which book I've I've read this in. Um, follow the intrinsic values, not the extrinsic ones, and that goes back to you know you can buy all the stuff you want, it's not going to make you happy or give you purpose. And then the other one, um, extrinsic extrinsic. Oh oh oh! I always tell people. Um, especially as our, our business has consolidated painfully over the years. Um, happiness is a currency and no, I can't write happiness to pay my water bill on a check or anything like that, but that happiness can give you some purpose to enjoy what you do and, and get every cent out of every dollar you make so that, you know what, maybe you're not living with all the money in the world, but you know what, you got purpose and you got happiness rather being rich and miserable.
1: Yes. I I couldn't agree more.
0: What do you do in your free time besides go to the gym? I figured that out pretty quickly. (laughs) Besides going to the
1: gym, my favorite hobby is to read. Um, I'm always reading a book. I always got the next book I'm going to read. I'm a foodie. I love to eat. I love to read. Um, I love to hang out with my wife and watch movies. And I'm also a very big family-oriented man, so... Me and my family, I mean, we have family get-togethers regularly. You know, I realize that that's not something everyone is fortunate enough to have. You know, I hear people say all the time they haven't seen their extended family members in months, and that's very normal for our family to always have family get-togethers, whether it's holidays or not. But my favorite hobby is to read and eat and travel. (laughs) Okay.
0: Um, okay. I lied. Not last questions. And this is, I'm so guilty of this during all my, my discussions. Um, what you're reading now, what you want to read next. And the last movie you saw that you loved that like just left you with a lot of thoughts. Ooh.
1: So right now I'm reading, um, what is it called? Think fast and slow.
0: Yes. Somebody just talked to me about that book last week by Daniel Kahneman.
1: Yes. I'm about, three-fourths of the way through that, and it's very very amazing. It actually reminds me of Napoleon's Hill, Think and Grow Rich, Mm -hmm. the whole um, conscious and subconscious mind. That's kind of what it's about. Um, It's
0: great. This is not to brag, but when my friend the other day who was talking to me about how much he loved this book, I'm like, again, not to brag, but The books I read reference that book but I know that that is a seminal work so if you want something like that and beyond that when you're ready I got lots of lots of suggestions what are you looking forward to reading uh, now after that
1: just just send me a list man just just that's usually how I get my books references and in the back of other books
0: that refer other books that's usually how I get mine me too what do you want to read next after that Uh, I think I'm going to read, go back to, I have about three books
1: I read once a year. And with this year wrapping up, I think I want to read The Alchemist. Um, I haven't read it this year. Again, that's one of my all-time favorite books. And it goes back to what we just talked about, following your passion and pursuing that by any means. You know, no matter what distractions or what setback comes, you know, your way, you just got to stay focused on that passion and what you really want and this is a quote from my mom she's told me since I was I mean I remember her telling me at four years old you can do anything you put your mind to and that's a simple quote but it's powerful and I believed it you know I, when she when she told me that when she told me that that's the only reason I believe that I could get a football scholarship and go play football for free get a college education for free The only reason I believed I could do that is because of that quote my mom told me. You can do anything you put your mind to. And that also let me know at a young age that your mental is more important than the physical.
0: Mm -hmm. Because if
1: you don't believe it up there, your body's not going to do anything your mind doesn't tell it.
0: I think it was Henry Ford. Maybe he stole it from somebody. Whether you think you're right or wrong, you're right. Yep. I love that quote. What's uh, what's something you've watched lately that just turned your mind on? Because I'm guessing you're like me. Like I don't do mindless entertainment. For me to be entertained, my mind has to be provoked.
1: Yes. So it's the movie, um, the movie about the guy that's living in Russia. That he he works for the CIA.
0: Snowden. Uh, yeah. Snowden. Okay. Okay. Um, awesome well this was me and the wife watched that the other week this was fantastic i'm sorry i i i'm i'm upset at myself and i apologize to you that it's taken uh many drake songs later and many viral things for us to connect like this but after (laughs) after i read the blade article and you were like purpose this purpose that i'm like Paris and i have to talk so (laughs) i'm glad i'm so glad man i'm humbled as you reached out
1: to me man and i'm This is awesome,
0: man. Yeah, I wish times were a little different. And uh, I, you know, I hit a valley. Um, Like, I'm an introvert. Um, When I turn on the microphone, it's just performance stuff. Other than that, I want to be at home with my dogs and away from loud crowds. So, like, this has been been easy for me. I'm like, if you want to survive the pandemic, act like me. But, (laughs) like, in April or May, I was like... This sucks. And I was like, why? I'm good at this. Why? What's wrong? And I realized that I missed being out in schools. I work with the Lucas County Suicide Prevention Coalition. Um, and I missed doing our every other week or so school talks to middle school kids or high school kids because that energized me. Like I, w- I didn't have that fuel. And you know schools were shut down at that point so I was missing that and that's when I hit the skids during all of this but um when uh when we get when things shake back out to normal a little bit I'm going to I would love to get you involved with that and lots of the other things that I do yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. especially because um, I can tell I can tell you this and I have no shame talking about it there are, there's a teacher at oh god at Woodward there's a health teacher at Woodward that brings us in every year and I, I hate doing it because um, I don't care. I can wear the coolest Black Panther T-shirt I have and have the best Jordans I have. And still, half of those kids are sleeping. They don't want to hear what I have to talk about. But if you show up, they will listen to you and you know exactly what I'm talking about.
1: You have a very, very valid point. That is very true.
0: Yeah, so... Very uh, true. This was-
1: I, I, I'd be 100% interested in that. Awesome,
0: Seriously. awesome. Thanks for doing what you do. I'm sorry if everybody was bugging you. are like, the guy on the radio wants to talk to you. What did you do? No, man, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Uh, I, I appreciate you reaching out as humble. Of course. You uh, you have my number now. Let's stay in touch. Uh, I'm going to tidy this up and get it posted, and thank you again. Sounds good, man. You have a great and terrific rest of the week. Paris Devon, take care. Thanks, man. You too.
1: See you. Peace.